Hello and welcome back to the podcast after one of the strangest summers, at least in terms of the weather, that I can remember. As autumn begins, the BBC's Director General's in-tray is once more full to overflowing. As usual, full of more questions than answers. When will he get a new chairman or woman? When will the Hugh Edwards investigation be completed? And if the presenter does not return to frontline duty, who will present the general election coverage, perhaps the toughest assignment in live TV programming? The BBC proms have just been a great success with prolonged applause for the BBC singers, earlier this year threatened with extinction and only temporarily reprieved. Will they still be sent to the scaffold? And this week, there are reports that BBC's Newsnight programme will cease to become the home of original reporting and become an after-the-news discussion programme as the BBC tries to cut its budget by a reported £5 million. Well, we'll be discussing and reporting on the issues which face the beleaguered BBC and other public service broadcasters in future podcasts. But this week, I'm in Nick Ferrari's studio in central London at LBC, and he doesn't seem to be the least beleaguered. He's just come off air, having presented Nick Ferrari at breakfast, and is a bit of a legend and a former speech broadcaster of the year. He is, in my opinion, simply a superb broadcaster and one never to be underestimated. Politicians keep coming onto his programmes, though they often trip up in the process. The latest to um, misspeak on Nick's programme was our new Defence Secretary, Grant Shapps, who is in his fifth Cabinet post in a year. He apparently thought that the Royal Navy's aircraft carriers carried RAF jets, which rather surprised the Navy's fleet air arm. (laughs) I want to talk to Nick Ferrari about political coverage, impartiality, and his remarkable career working as a seven-year-old in his father's (laughs) news agency and then helping launch Live TV, where he devised such programmes as Topless Darts, the News Bunny Mascot, and the weather forecast presented by a dwarf on a trampoline. Dick Ferrari, <laughs> welcome to the podcast and thank you for allowing us to use your studio. Do, do I say thank you for that introduction, Roger? And Roger? Yes, I will. Right, yes, okay. It's been a remorselessly uphill career, <laughs> hasn't it? <laughs> oh, triumphant one. Well, I mean, your Wikipedia entry calls you a conservative British radio host, television presenter and broadcast journalist. Yes. Is that a fair description, a conservative British radio host? Well, certainly conservative-leaning, because many, many years ago I did have a couple of conversations with David Cameron, who was then the Prime Minister, about possibly standing as the candidate to be the Mayor of London, for the, obviously for the Conservative Party. How active was it, Roger? Really not that active, but as I say, I had a couple of meetings. And then one Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson threw his sizable hat into the ring, and I decided that uh, radio would be uh, where I would be sticking. So I was not inflicted on the good folk of, of, the, of the London I think Cap- London Capital. will be in mourning at that news uh, myself. But do you think it's more honest uh, to to be open about your political leanings but you work within a regulated system but is it more honest to be open about your basic politics yes it always intrigues me and i mean you you've been a presenter and a senior executive at the BBC, it always intrigues me how there's a sort of amorta and we're not allowed to know which way John Humphreys might have voted, which way Michelle, which way Nick Robinson, we, we don't know. Look, the job of LBC, and I think it's probably doing it quite well, and you're a, a very keen observer, I know, of, a, of, the whole, of the whole business of radio. So you have me between seven and ten, and obviously I am more right-leaning, but then my colleague James O'Brien, who comes on afterwards, is exactly the opposite. So I think as long as in, within the broad output of a station such as LBC, you are reflecting that. I think that probably gives us an, an edge, and I don't mean this in a critical fashion, but gives us an edge over something such as Five Live, which you probably know I work for as a freelance, where understandably I once had balance, balance screamed in my ear because I was going probably off on a bit of a right-wing rant. Well, you think there's a conscious bias at the, at the BBC, for example, people who think they are being impartial, but in fact are coming from a particular 
maybe unconscious liberal. I don't know position you're nodding. Yeah, yeah. I th- no, I think no, I think that's right. And I was I was just reminded before I do. You'll appreciate it. So I was I was doing I was filling in for um, Edwina Curry on Five Live late night Curry. Uh, Produced by, I'm sure, a friend of yours, Peter Gallimore, the great Peter Gallimore up in Brum. We now know, of course, what Edwina Curry was doing with her Saturday nights uh, with the former Prime Minister. We won't, we won't bring that. I couldn't but, go there. But I remember once, I remember once going on some kind of mad rant. It was when uh, tea, uh, the bovine cattle disease was at its worst and they were having to burn cattle. And I started saying, this is appalling. What does this mean for this country? Tourists coming over and it reeks of the smell of burning cattle. And this producer, quite rightly, quite rightly, you know, this is disgraceful behaviour by Tony Blair. Just call it balance. Balance. So I thought, and I turned around, and there was just a picture of the family. They'd just been... And I said, but don't they make a lovely family picture? <laughs> the only thing I could think of to come back. I didn't have a long career at Five Live, Roger. No, well, this is your home. But you are regulated, aren't you? This yes, isn't a free-for-all. It's, no, it's not, not like the States where you can no. uh, say this, that. How are you regulated, then? Through Ofcom. Yeah, and what do they say to you that you must do? You can, you can declare your political... Position. Yes. You can take a political stance, but I must strive to provide balance, and I must be fair and allow equal voices. In fact, a voice that disagrees with me will be given preferential treatment to one who's telling me I'm a genius. And that's what we have to. And that's what we have to reflect. All shades of opinion. Yeah. And there are other caveats. I don't need to tell you about yeah. electoral rules that we have to observe. Obviously, yeah. we strictly adhere to those. But I, I, are I, you I, glad that they're there? That it isn't a world in which, like, you could a be a question. fox host. Uh, am I glad there that I think we need? I, I think the electoral rules are madness. By the way, we can't even say that there's an. Well, we can say there's an election on on the actual day. I think that is true. Yeah, and in, so the, in the run up to it, you've got to say if you mention one candidate, you have to make or make sure everybody's aware of all the other candidates that might be standing, including usually leap screaming log search. Yeah. <laughs> Do I think? Um, I think we could go a little bit towards the American way, but I think the whole American way where you have people screaming and shouting is probably not very British. And that's why, arguably, I'm probably still in work. I am very fortunate, Roger, for whatever reason, this country does not seem to yet breed people who do a lot of speech radio. I'm very... Look at the talent pool. You've now got talk radio, you've got GB News, you're all trying to hire. So it's a very, very... And I'm very fortunate. If we did it a bit like America, there may be more folk around. Yeah, and of course you get ministers on all the time, actually, yeah. as you uh, this morning, yeah. shadow ministers and so on. But I wondered whether you were alarmed by what you saw in the States when you read uh, what happened with, actually, your former boss, in a way, yeah. uh, Murdoch, yeah. uh, when the documents were declared in, the, in a case which involved a polling company yeah. um, who, uh, who uh, sued, I think, the Fox company because they... Uh, well, the basic story, as everybody knows, is Trump alleges that the polls are foiled. Most of his supporters still believe that. He's cheated at the election. And what was allowed at Fox was for contributors and for presenters to go on and maintain that Trump was robbed yep. when they knew, and the private evidence is there in correspondence, that they knew that he wasn't robbed. Yep. So what they basically decided was we can't tell the truth because the truth would cost us too much money. Yep. Now, I was shocked by that. Were you shocked by Indef- that? Indefensible. And Utterly was, indefensible. And, 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 and I didn't expect it to be as bad as that, did you? No, not the scale of it. And I think that's why they settled, isn't it? Because they realised yeah. how ugly it was going to be. Listen, having worked for him, Mr Murdoch is nothing but a very pragmatic businessman. I think as he delved deeper into it and he met with lawyers and editors and whoever else, I actually used the word again, it was indefensible, so they had to write a cheque. Yeah. No, that is appalling. It's not even journalistic practice. That is not what any of us have come into the game for. So you are a person who's a conservative but thinks an element of regulation is good. Yes, I think so. I'm absolutely right. Otherwise, we would veer towards some of the excesses of the US. And I don't, by the way, Roger, I don't think that would work in the UK anyway. In a pure yeah. markets, uh, pure commercial sense, we are not. 
the average Brit is not as voluble as we might say as the Americans. Yeah. I don't even think there's a business model for it. I don't know that Fox would work as Fox is constituted. I don't know that it would work in the UK. I really don't. But how do you feel then about saying like GB News when you're watching that? When you have, when you see, for example, uh, yep. on one occasion, you had two Conservative MPs, so again, Conservative <laughs> MPs, inter- interviewing a Conservative Chancellor. Context. I think it has to be contextual. For me to say no Conservative or Labour, no no politician should ever be allowed to present a show, I, 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 I think that would be too much. It has to be what he or she is doing. The point you make about Esther was palpably absurd, and whoever the producer of that programme, I'm sure if he or she were to reflect on it all, actually, I don't quite know how that happened. But someone like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who I used to do a phone-in with, uh, I think he has every right to present a programme because I, I don't really like censoring people, but the content has to be looked at carefully. Mm. Tell me about today's, uh, I mean, this programme that you do, and which you've done brilliantly for, what, how many, 12 or 20 years now, yeah? It's 20 years next year. I, I had a note from Tarrant um, 18 months ago, congratulations, I think the longest serving now commercial radio breakfast presenter. Chris Tarrant, yeah, yeah, sorry, Chris Chris Tarrant, sorry, yeah. sorry, slightly bruised perhaps that you'd overtaken him, but I mean, <laughs> no, I, what I don't understand is um, how you've done it uh, this long, not just the programme, but the getting up. I mean, your producers <laughs> get up before you do, about three. When do you get up in the morning? I get up, well, about half five, because this is what I always explain, and you'll, you'll be onto this straight away. I'm actually setting up from about three in the afternoon. So a set-up producer arrives at two. He or she, it's a he today, will be ringing me till about nine at night. So, Roger, I come in. I know what's at seven. I'll know probably what's at 7.20. I'd love to think I know what's at eight. But we've got the framework, and then we work on the day. We fill it on the day. I know that's what everybody pauses. I once told that to Adam Bolton. He went quiet for five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Adam couldn't quite believe it. (laughs) Well, it quite terrified me. Uh, (laughs) But doing it. And then, but the other thing which is extraordinary is when you're on the air... Um, people have this habit of polishing making gaffes. I mean, we all remember, I think, the Diane Abbott one, where yeah, she came up with yeah. this extraordinary figure. I think um, oh, she yeah. was talking about uh, uh, the real cost of hiring a police officer, and she claimed, I think, that it would cost just £300,000 to hire 10,000 more police officers over four years. A lot of people, you know, like you would be working, looking at the next yeah. question, thinking, what about this? And, of course, <laughs> bing, on your brain, it goes, well, wait a minute, that works out at... It costs... Thirty pounds for each <laughs> to trade each police officer, but you were in like a. We uh, did you know she was going to say that or, or what? So what? here's the story behind that, and you'll appreciate that. I didn't actually want to do that interview because Diane Abbott had been booked many times before, and for whatever reason we never used to get her. So when I saw her name on the list, I said, "Look, this woman always lets us down. We're not going to do her." And my producer quite rightly said, "Nick, we're in an election. We've had too many Tories. We've got to have a Labour. You've got you've got to do her." So, and you've worked with enough presenters, yeah. I grudgingly, begrudgingly sat there. The brief was handed to me. I'm sort of grumpy, and it just opened up before me. It's not like I'd done any research. You're absolutely That's what everybody seems to remember me for, and it was the interview I never wanted to do. <laughs> and then you have, of course, our new defence sector last week. Yes. not quite sure who owns the planes. Anyway, there we are. Uh, can we... Uh, uh, one final question is in this area, which yeah. I, I just wonder, though, isn't it trouble with being terribly well-informed in the way you are, that when you go home or you go to a party, you're <laughs> always better informed than anybody else, and you become a bit of a bore. I mean, is that not the danger? Oh, come on, Dad, I mean... <laughs> I am going to quote the late, great David Banks, who was the editor of the Daily Mirror and was my broadcast partner when I first came in, who was probably one of the best red men I ever knew, but you didn't know it. And I once challenged him as as was, not on air, just as we were having a, a drink somewhere, and he said, do you know what? People are always appreciated if you wear your wisdom lightly. And I'm not saying that I'm particularly wise, but if I have any knowledge, I just impart it when I'm asked for it. I, I try not to be there. But do you, you get know. frustrated? 
Because, uh, I mean, so much debate is based upon a misunderstanding or a total ignorance of the facts. No, and yeah, there must be thinking, what on earth are you talking about? I don't, it's not a question whether you're right or wrong, it's just ill-informed. I mean, uh, how do you control yourself? Because I've got 15 hours of radio ahead of me every single week. You've worked in the business. 15 hours where I don't have a programme editor. I'm so lucky. They allow me to edit the show. I mean, I have been in the business for more than 40 years. Yeah. I edit my own show. I choose the stories I want to do. If that doesn't satisfy me, I have a column every week in the Sunday Express. I have such a broad canvas, such a broad canvas, that I never need feel frustrated because I can just get it on air. But then how do you come down from a high or, or whatever? What do you do with the rest of the day? I mean, here you are. You're starting earlier than most, finished earlier than most. What do you do for the rest of the day? You're not a natural golfer, it seems to I'm me. Not, <laughs> I'm not a natural golfer, nor am I a gym or gym. Well, I've got my Uber shift. and then <laughs> <laughs> What do I do? Um, OK, so today I'm going to go home. Oh, here's a good example. So today I'm going to go home. One of my sons is setting up a, a really exciting business in central London. He's in a little bit of help with admin, so I'm, I, I try and be as much of a dad as I can to my su- two sons who are in their 30s. But honestly, I, I will probably watch a bit of news and then cook myself a steak. I, I have a fantastic woman in my life, but she's the other side of London. It just works that way because her children are quite a bit younger. So, so that's it. But bear in mind, like yesterday, I was on this morning, so I jump on a motorbike and I go and work with Holly... And Dermot over there and do the morning, and then I'm back on that tomorrow. So there's normally something to fill my day. And yesterday I was lunching with the um, new political editor of LBC, which was very exciting as well, who I can reveal is Natasha Clark, who's coming over from The Sun. So we look forward to that. Ah, Oh, quite fascinating. Well, let's go back to your early yes, life, because okay, you were bo- really born into the business. I had the good fortune when I worked on a program called Nationwide to have yeah. us, uh, as it says, to my deputy, your... Uh, late lamented brother, yep. uh, Lino, and he bloke. told me stories that I found were almost unbelievable, but I've discovered that it's true. I mean, your dad, who was uh, from Italian uh, extraction, called Dana, well, called Lino, but also called Dan, I think, um, had an agency, and he had you work... There's a story, you worked for him at age seven, is that yeah, true? That's true, yeah. So, so Dad... What could, he, you, what could you do at age seven? Recopy. And I'll explain what that means, read copy. So Dad was uh, uh, the, the Italian part of Switzerland, so Dad was actually Swiss. Yeah. So he comes over here and, and he tries to get where He was known, so his first name was Lino, like my brother yeah. with whom you worked, and thank you, he was a real, my goodness me, what he could have achieved in the industry, but it was not, sadly, to be the longevity we'd have liked. So Dad starts getting work. He says that his name is Lino Ferrari, and a news editor says, what? And he says, Lino Ferrari. I've heard of a musical entertainer called Dan Lean. We're going to call you Dan. So, of course, being the son of an immigrant, just if you yes. get work. OK, so when, when they buried him, sorry, when the mirror said that I'd lost my they called him Dan even when he died. <laughs> and he'd worked there for 40 years. His name was Lino. Anyway, he starts with his um, demob, demob money. He buys a desk. I've still got that desk as my desk in my study at home. He starts Ferrari Press Agency. It operates in Kent. It was called Ferrari of Dartford. It operated in Kent and south-east London. Among its many past employees are one Kelvin McKenzie and Richard Stott. And I would get home from school and, I don't know, have a bowl of cornflakes or whatever mum served up, and I would be reading copy, i.e. reading the story to the Daily Express. So uh, tragic pensioners were killed last night after a bus collided with a, a truck on the A20 in Orpington, a full-stop paragraph. Sid and Doris Jones, comma, both 72, comma, from Cuddam, Kent, comma. And I would just... And meanwhile, my bro- so I'm reading it to the Express. My brother down there is reading it to the Mirror, the same story. And my other brother, because I'm one of three, was reading it to the Daily Telegraph. And I thought all businesses were like that. <laughs> what I didn't realise was I was actually preparing for the job that I was going to do so that when I tell a story on the radio, as you've observed, there's no script. 
Yeah. I'm just telling the story as I've yeah. sort of hauled it out of a paper. And you learned things about... Uh, obviously, you had to solve the news stories, and some, presumably, news editors would say, bored about that, and your father would think, hmm, tell them this. Now, go. what was it? Here we go, here we go. So if we, if we were just getting regular uh, inquiries and just filing stories like that, then we could have a diet of spaghetti bolognese. If Dad fancied steak, there was a bit of a trick that I'm ready to tell you. If you could get what's called an order from a news desk, they were going to pay proper money. I mean, probably in those days, as much as 12 pounds, 12 shillings and sixpence, I have no idea. To get an order, you had to to take out your journalistic licence. You had to maybe spice up the story. One of my dad's favourite stories, which he used to tell against himself, was that I think he had the the rates or whatever it was called to pay, and there had been a very sad murder down in one of the Medway towns. But honestly, Roger... It was pretty much, a, sadly, a bread-and-butter murder. So no newspaper, so he was ringing the mirror. No, no, no thanks, Dan Express. No, no thanks, Dan. And he just came up with... I'll tell you what. The body was found in an attitude of prayer. <gasps> oh, that's... A, yeah, that's... A, is that an order? Yes, yeah, so suddenly, boom. Hello, Daily Telegraph. Uh, yeah, hi. Just getting a line. The body was found in an attitude of... <laughs> yeah, we'll have a... Boom. The whole bloody thing was all... all just, then we just had to get a police officer to say, yes, the body was in an interesting position. <laughs> we went... <laughs> Did, did, did the, no crisis of conscience in the household? No, because that's... What is that doing? I mean, that's not actually hurting anybody, is it? That's just getting a bit of life into a story. Um, so now, clearly, you sound my, like Calvin McKenzie I, to well, me. My future I mean, was at the sun. I can see a direct lighting here with it, mirror and then the sun. But where did you... How did you... As your journalistic conscience yeah. work, when you've got a story and you know and you want to spice it up... Um, how did you justify yourself to the spicing up? Were you in the news business or the entertainment business? Bit of both. Yeah. I, I mean, fervently, if you come back to my show, we should be informing in an entertaining way and we should be entertaining in an informative way. We should be doing better. This shouldn't be like double physics or biology. No, no, it's a question of trust. Is, do no, I, it is do trust. I, but as a listener or, and in the past as a reader, what do I believe? I see a sun front page that you and Kelvin McKenzie has worked on. Yep. Bits of it aren't true. How am I supposed to know? Because you spiced it up. How am I supposed to know? Does it matter that I don't know? Depends what the story is. If we would never spice up something if it was about defence of the realm, the health of the queen, oh, health of the king, well, health of the queen in our days. Because, but might we give a bit of top spin to a story about? Tina Turner or whatever it might be. Yeah, we might do that. And normally, normally, the agents were bloody delighted with it because the story would travel more. I like how you all inflated the salaries. X is paid a million pounds and they're delighted because it helps with their future negotiations. <laughs> well, it might be yeah. That, yeah. Or something like that. And I, I won't ask you about a, whether a certain Conservative Party adulterer was or was not wearing a Chelsea shirt when he committed <laughs> the action. Uh, no, you are well informed. Yeah, well, perhaps we're not talking about that one. But uh, did you... I'm very mean, well informed. Uh, and then when you... If I can take you... Uh, why did you like Kelvin McKenzie so much? You, you mentioned but you were there with him almost from a, a young boy. You obviously had a great relationship. Why did you have such a great relationship? He, without doubt, is the best marketer as an editor I've ever seen. He could market. He had an int- he he created the Sun for himself. He was the number one Sun reader. Mm-hmm. He was brutal and brilliant in equal measure, and I've been on the receiving end of both. And he was just the sort of inspiring leader that I that I really. I mean, my father had fired him. My late father had fired him from the press agency because he said to a very young Kelvin McKenzie, "Look, I have no doubt you're going to do well in, in your career." But he was very abrasive. So he'd, he'd, I'm so sorry. So he'd go to the scene of a fire and he'd say, "Did you see the fire?" "Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did." "What's your name, Doris? What, what can I have your last name, Jones?" "Oh, Doris Jones. How old are you?" "I don't really want to tell you." "Well, you got to tell me. I'm going to say you're 72." <laughs> Whereas Richard Stott, yeah. same. "How old? Uh, what's your name, Doris? Doris Jones. How old are you?" Well, 
Shall we put you down as 29? Oh, you cheeky boy. Put 31. So my dad yeah. said, Richard Stott had this way, which, again, is just a journalist. And, and Kelvin, when I have this great career. Um, so I found him inspiring, creative, and at time, well, laugh out funny at conference yeah. morning. I mean, just laugh out funny, but equally brilliant. But did you also look at people like, oh, I don't say me personally, but people at the BBC is a bit pompous, self-righteous, moralistic, and so on. There was a, an antipathy. There was. Uh, and, and when you look at that now, I mean, I think we deserved some of it, frankly. I do think we were self-righteous. But we were trying to do a slightly different thing. What do you think about that now? Well, now that I've been around much longer and I've done broadcasting, I, I realise that you, sorry, you, the, the BBC is held to account in a totally different level. And actually, what it achieves most of the time is truly fantastic. Is truly, does it sometimes go a little wrong? Yes, you're right. There was two, We were probably in a position that the moment that we see or saw a story about the BBC, I'd already written the intro, bungling BBC boss last night confessed i'd already written we didn't even know what it was so yeah that was the wrong position to take most of what the the corporation whatever you want to call it does it is for but i do i will say this when there is a drama they can turn it into a crisis like no other company i know it's quite incredible how they mishandle it i mean it's spectacularly mishandled but i also wonder whether you thought that you know when i look back lots of people coming very young people they're coming from perhaps a liberal position i don't even left liberal position they have a belief that some to a degree state intervention can resolve most things um they haven't had a lot of experience of the private sector and so on uh and they have a and they want to be on the cutting edge if you like as they would see it yep. of developing thought and argument and i just wonder now that normally that's tempered or should be tempered by more experienced people and so on but over a period uh looking back you can see that on social issues and other things they get start the dangerous we they get out of touch with significant parts of the country, and often he said not London particularly, but elsewhere. Do you think, doing the sort of show you do, that you are more in touch, if you like, with what brackets ordinary people really think than a lot of people in the BBC? Uh, Surely by dint, not because I'm any particularly specially smart bloke, but absolutely right for the points you made. For instance, I I really thought Britain would Brexit, and and I understand there was almost a period of mourning at the BBC, and and I think even they accept they had a very bad Brexit as regards coverage. Having spoken to people outside, because of the the, the power of this radio station, it was like a faith for them once you got outside of the home counties. They were going to Brexit whatever they had to, because they'd been left behind. Sadly, they've been left behind again, but that's a whole separate conversation. So, yes, because... And and you'll have done your research, because I know you... Within the M25, we we put up a fight against today. We're not bad, but they are an absolute giant. Once you start getting out of the M25, I more than keep my own against today. And you go to some cities, and actually, I will outperform. This show will outperform today in some of the cities. So that is why, and that's because the people are ringing in from, for instance, Glasgow. I don't know why. It's a massive town for this radio station, as in Manchester, as is Manchester. So that's what helps inform me. What do you think? It's a danger the BBC appears to be talking not just to the southeast, but talking down to the rest of the country in some way? I don't listen to enough of their content, so I, I'm not dodging the question. I yeah. don't know. What I do hear of today is of, it's a phenomenally <laughs> professional product, but sometimes I'm thinking if I am a salesman or saleswoman about to drive across the Pennine Way, what does that actually mean to me, what you've just been talking about? And I don't know if it hits home. Just for going back, because I didn't ask yes. you, and I really have to ask you, I had topless Uh-oh. darts, the news, bunny mascot, the web. Uh, yeah. what, what were you about then? Uh, this was survival, was it, or both? Totally. So this was the Mirror Group deciding to get into cable television. 
um, under the stewardship of David Montgomery as the chief executive, and which was a very good idea. I need to c- admit now, Kelvin's idea was the was the news bunny. Yes, put me down for topless darts. Put me down for uh, the, uh, the, the 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 dwarf who couldn't reach Aberdeen when he was doing the weather, uh, and, and put me down for what was another one of the great ones: um, blindfold one man and his dog. So you can put me down for all sorts of <laughs> weird programs. It was about. It was about making it was about making a noise. It was about being heard. The order from Kelvin was very simple. No one's heard of us. We've got to get hurt. Just get out there and be the noisy, noisy kid on the block. So just come up with me. Ma- and these were only like two-minute inserts. So it wasn't like half an hour of topless, yeah. uh, girls without tops on playing dust. And it was just to get attention. And it did. People are still talking about it now. Yeah. And with a smile, it has to be said with a smile. Yeah. And now, of course, we're at the age of uh, podcasting. And I think that... Um, I must tell you this story about, the, yeah. about the, the, the... So Kelvin has the idea for the rabbit. I suddenly hear a shout, get in here! And I was Fat Boy 2, Kelvin was Fat Boy 1, and Banksy was Fat Boy 3. That was just how we were addressed. It's not allowed these days. <laughs> fat Boy 2, get in here now. So I go racing, and I was director of programmes or something, I go racing in that book with a pen. And he's got a, a business man, I think it might have been, anyway, a businessman or woman sitting opposite. I've just had a, a great flipping, you know what I'm saying, I've yeah. had a great idea, right. I want you to get a life size rabbit, right, so that someone can get inside it with giant ears. And I want it to be able to walk around with arms and it can hold its head if the news is bad. And it's got to have thumbs. It's got to give a thumbs up if the news is good. And I want, I want a prototype built and I want to have a look at it and I want it by next Friday. To which apparently I then said, OK, boss, yeah, any particular colour? <laughs> and I walked out the room and this guy said, where do you train these people? <laughs> he didn't even demur. He just said, what colour do you? And you said, grey or brown. And he said, OK, boss, and walked out the door. <laughs> Well, a cable, uh, you know, ran into the ground in the yeah. in the end, but uh, literally, <laughs> literally, oh that's dreadful. Sorry, uh, but you know, now we're in the midst of podcasting, and everybody yeah. thinks they can podcast and whatever. And for most people, it doesn't make any m- money. It may satisfy egos like mine, but sometimes it might influence opinion. <laughs> but what do you think about the? I mean, there's still this continued appeal for the sort of thing you do. Is that, in your view, a completely different thing from podcasting? What can can podcasting do anything that you can't? Do. Yeah, what you and I are doing now. A niche, a niche, a very small Absolutely. audience. But, and there's, there's a looser regulation for podcasting, yeah. which I think is exciting. And I know my colleague Ian Dale does one with Jackie Smith, the former yeah. Home Secretary, and I understand one of the features is when I say dirty, it's not dirty, but, I mean, they do some blue gags and things like that, and like, yeah. you know, that would get taken off air immediately. I'm not saying that's what justifies podcasting. But, look, anything, anything that feeds into broadcasting has to be a positive. Why is LBC relevant? Because I think it affords a voice, again, not being critical, that perhaps the BBC does not address. It's obviously, I'm going to say, a little more nimble. It's a little less stuffy. And that's why you've seen, I think, Mr Murdoch try and do what he's doing with Talk TV. And he's trying to grow that. And, and sorry, talk, uh, talk Radio and Talk TV. And Times Radio, which is great. And in GB News. And we should not be frightened of competition. One thing Murdoch always taught me, don't be frightened of competition because it will make you better when you fight them. But the worry for me about all of this is is, there's competition for talk. There may not be competition for reporting. And oh, you must as worried point. as I am about what's happening in local radio, where oh, well, local <sighs> journalism, when that's being decimated, BBC's cutting back in local radio. And you, and you see what's happening on Newsnight now, uh, where whatever you think about did some wonderful investigations, and now Indeed. they're talking yep. about, uh, yep. talking about with the cuts necessary, it becoming an after-the-news discussion programme, which you actually did a similar thing with ITV. I did, yeah. There's nothing wrong with all these discussion programmes, but the information on which they're based, the original reporting... Where is it going to be? I mean, if the BBC is cut back and news is cut back too much, then it will simply, like everybody else, be picking up somebody else's information and processing it. 
Look, yours is an absolutely brilliant point, and I, I'm, I've got to wear two hats here, haven't I? As someone who works on LBC, if you want to start closing down Radio Leicester, Radio Kent, Radio Medway, obviously I'm going to say great because it offers us more opportunities or cl- shut down a great chunk of them. So I say that from the LBC. From the perspective of a journalist talking about journalism and wanting young people, any people, I don't care what age, coming into this, this is an absolute crying shame because where are you going to get the coverage about the incidents that are important in Dover for the Kent audience or whatever it might be? Yeah, who's I, going to be keeping an eye on the local nobody, council? Corruption nobody, planning, nobody, all no, of that stuff. So, so in, you know, if my first first in, 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 uh, in involvement in this business was print. It's exactly what's happened with local papers. I don't need to tell you. I, I don't know if you've got a local paper in your area. I've got... Where I grew up, there used to be three. There's now one, and it's free. And part of my language is crap. I mean, it, it's just... There's no news in it at all. No one's holding local councils to account. Yeah. No one's in the local courts. It just doesn't exist. Sadly, it's gone the same way on the TV. So oh, on the radio. Th- so does that mean that when you're coming up and looking at something like Charter Renewal for the BBC or whatever, are you one of those people who would say, actually, there now needs to be a, a, a tasking if you like, of the BBC more narrowly, and saying the reporting function, where you could see market failure, which you can see in local radio, and you might say elsewhere, that the BBC should have a special responsibility. It shouldn't just be cutting as it wants to for its future. We should be saying, you know, one of your jobs is local and regional reporting. We want that strengthened. comes back to when I told that story about fairness, fairness, doesn't it? Is it not a balancing act? When a presenter's on the BBC, he, she has got to balance and, and make sure... Are they trying to obviously make themselves commercially fit and able and nimble, but they also do have a duty to the people who pay the TV licence, who want to know the news and what's happening in Leicester High Street? And, and, and uh, look, it's way beyond me. I don't know how you balance the two, because I imagine running all these city and county news uh, uh, divisions is going to be hugely expensive. You're, tr- you're possibly trying to get ready for a government that becomes quite aggressive about the licence fee. That's what these men and women who are running the corporation have to balance. Thank God it's not my worry. Can I ask you one last thing? It's about actually a story about your, your brother, your late brother, told yeah. me. Uh, he was a young... Uh, He's landed me in it already with that yeah. prayer. Yeah. I know, yeah. Anyway, he was a young lad on, <laughs> uh, on, on in BBC, I think on Nationwide, was trying to make his name. And he was telling... People knew he had a tabloid background. And uh, they were looking for Miss World for some reason. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Lena said, I can do it. He spent the whole day... He could desperately... Phones up his father... Dan, stroke Lena, and said, Dan, Dan, I don't know what to do. I, 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 you know, what do I do? I, have you any idea? Do you know where she is? No, son. <laughs> no, I haven't the faintest idea. You pick up the story. What happened at the end of that? Helen Morgan was the Miss World. It doesn't seem relevant now, but she turned out she was Miss UK. She was an unmarried mum. So it was the biggest story in town, and the Daily Mirror and the Daily Express fought it out. The Daily Express had just had a new news editor taken, which was my dad's former deputy. His name was Brian Hitchens. It was a battle to the to the end. The Mirror won it. They managed to virtually kidnap her off a train. They phone in. We didn't have mobile phones. It would have been from a railway station pay box. Uh, Dan, Dan, we've got Miss World. Where do you want me to... Where do we hide? Normally you go to country hotels, as you possibly know. I stayed in, when I was on the Sunday Mirror, more country hotels probably than the England football team. So he had this quite big mill house in Kent, surrounded by grounds. Take it to my house. Hide it in my house. No one will ever know. Fantastic. So Miss World is yours. I come back from school. Absolutely true. I come back from school. Come in to probably read some copy. And Mum says, oh, you can't go to your bedroom, uh, Nicky. You should call me Nicky. You should call me Nicky. Oh, why is that, Mum? Because Miss World's there. All right, that explains why there are so many cars outside. The, um, Lino, uh, who I think was attached to Bristol, but was it based yeah. in Bristol, but was attached to London, yeah. he comes down in his blue Triumph Spitfire. He has to get past the Daily Express, because they did find out where we were. It's quite a long drive. They don't tell him what it is. He walks in, he sees a photographer who he knows. He says to Mum, what is going on? <laughs> don't worry. Miss World's in Nicky's bedroom. Oh, Christ, I've been looking for her all day. <laughs> the punchline of the story is, 
I go to school the next morning. Uh, I used to, a family friend picked me up. They tied the gate together with barbed wire, the Daily Express. They'd laid planks across. I get to school late. I was always going to let anyway. They take the register. Ferrari, where were you? Why are you so late? I'm sorry, sir. I got home and Miss World was in my bed. Right, go and see the headmaster. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, it's true. It's probably the title of my book. Honestly, it's true. <laughs> well, my, my friend Dida, your brother Dida, did recover and had a, had a great career. He was uh, a top say, bloke. And, he was and a top died, bloke. very sadly, far too early. He did. Um, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been an absolute blast. And, and I can assume that uh, you're not going to give up in the near future, really. I have no desire to give it up. All the time they're prepared. Well, I've, I've beaten Tara. I've got to go on to the next one. I, I don't know quite what it is, but I'm going to put on more years on the clock. And I don't know if this will go out on your podcast. But anyway, thanks. You're always such a, a sage and ready voice. It's lovely to know, Roger, my team can give you a call and you're on air five minutes' time and you're absolutely superbly brief. So it's a pri- privilege to uh, return the favour. Crikey, well, we really should edit that out. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's all for this week. Next week, we'll be talking to someone who's been at the centre of the BBC's political journalism. We'll get the inside story on how the BBC handled these past chaotic and turbulent years in British politics. And yes, we will be speaking to former BBC Director General Mark Thompson and soon to be Chairman and Chief Executive of CNN Worldwide. That's, I think, in a couple of weeks. And if you want to keep on listening to us, please do support our journalism. It's less than a cup of coffee at £2 per month, which also gives you access to a weekly newsletter. You can find the link on our website and in the description of this programme on your podcast platform, where you will also find details to how, how to contact us on Twitter, Mastodon, and by email. And if you didn't know already... This podcast is presented by me, Roger Bolton. It's produced by Kate Dixon. The sound is by Dave Kitto. And special thanks to Quint Genty. Actually, on this occasion, special thanks for LBC who have allowed us to use their studios. It's a good egg production. Thanks for listening. Uh, Thank you very much, Mr. Ferrari. Thank you.